we left off last time, they're worded exactly the same. We're going to read through and set ourselves up to go into this. So if you want to go to Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 37. Uh, if you want to go there in your Bibles, I'll give you a minute. We also have it on the screen. You can keep up. I'll probably be jumping back and forth between New King James Version and the Passion Translation, but I will have both of them on the screen for you, so, uh, so you can uh, keep up with me this morning. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, what? Peter had just got up and preached a gospel message for the ages. The same Peter that just a little ways earlier denied Jesus three times and didn't want nothing to do with him and all this kind of stuff, has an encounter in an upper room, has a moment where he becomes consumed with Holy Spirit. He comes out of the upper room and preaches the gospel message. And this is, this is what happens. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and, the, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will. Amen. And with many other words, he testified, he exhorted them, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. Wow. When's the last time you've seen three souls added to the church at one time? 3,000 were born into this family at this moment. What we see here is Peter, who we learn is a great opportunist, takes the moment of undivided attention created by the work of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. I just thought this was so awesome to me. That how many times in our day-to-day -day lives have we overlooked awesome moments that Holy Spirit has created, set up, and purposed for you to share the gospel. Yeah. Just those moments that, that, that He does something, He draws somebody into a conversation, somebody just opens up to you out of the blue. How many of you ever had that happen? Maybe you're at work or something and somebody just opens up and starts sharing all their junk with you. I feel like our immediate response is kind of like, oh, man, I don't need to know all that. Like, you keep your past to your past. But what I believe it is, is Holy Spirit is setting up an opportunity for you to insert the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people's lives. Amen. Verse 37 says that they were, in the Passion Training, it says they were crushed and they realized what they had done. Deeply moved, they asked, what do we need to do? They were crushed. On the inside. When they heard the gospel message, it brought a crushing feeling. I want you to understand this. This is Holy Spirit. This is how He chose to show up. He comes in and crushes them on the inside, and they're deeply moved from the inside, and they ask, What do we need to do? In other words, no matter what it takes, I'll do whatever it is right now to have whatever it is you're talking about. Preachers. I'm going to start with you guys this morning. If you're a preacher of the gospel, this is it. This is the standard. When we release the word of God, it should bring them to a place where they begin to say, I'll do whatever it takes to be a part of what it is you're presenting. And then us in our everyday lives, are we presenting lives that people leave us feeling consumed with a spirit, deeply moved, saying, what do I need to do to be like them? What do I need to do to be a part of what they're doing? 
The Spirit created a connection to stir up a conviction. We cannot get away from this fact. If we forfeit conviction to manufacture connection, it will be counterfeit. If their commitment to this family is from anything but the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then it will be superficial at best. If you talk them into joining this church, someone else can talk them out of it. If it's anything other than the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that when they get in the presence of God, it brings them into a place of connection, then the best you'll ever get is a superficial, hi, how are you, mundane relationship. Connection, commitment. Moving on in what's happening in the church in Acts, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 11, says, So great fear came upon all the church. And upon all those who heard these things, continuing, uh, that's the heading, continuing power in the church. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Notice this. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. I want to reiterate something we dealt with a little bit last time. In this scripture, it says, no one dared join them, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. So which one was it? Did no one want to join them, or were people increasingly added constantly, all the time? Uh, the, the, the One of the scriptures says, they were saved, daily were saved, as should be saved, or something like that. I probably just butchered it, but you know what I mean. So which one was it? Did they dare not join them, or were multitudes being added? I believe the answer to true theology is yes. Even in the two seemingly contradicting statements, the answer is yes. May I submit to you that the level on which the church was operating created such an awe in people and a reverence and respect that if you hadn't had the same experiential encounter, the rebirthing into a new creation, being born of the Spirit... You wouldn't just join for the sake of joining. In other words, there was no fake it till you make it. I'm so over that concept. They realized that it would completely change everything they knew about life. Standing on the outside of the church in in Acts, looking at what they were doing, the, the lost people were convicted to the point of realizing to join them, my life has to change completely. All right. All right. How often do people join our religious establishments and maintain the exact same life they had when they walked in this room? Can I tell you that according to Acts, it is impossible to join God, Abba's church. It is impossible to join Abba's family and hold on to the exact life you had before you joined them. Why? Why is it impossible? Why was there so much change? Because there was so much conviction. This life came with the craziest level of commitment to their belief and to their community that anyone had ever seen in their life. The craziest level. They were so crazy committed to their belief that they would die for it. They were so crazy committed to their community that they would die for them too. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Well, I show up on Sunday mornings. Well, they ran from their lives and ran for their lives in hidden caves to be with one another. Wow. 
It was the craziest. The craziest level of commitment to their belief and to their community that anyone had ever seen. I believe that that commitment was a fruit of their conviction. The only reason commitment is an issue in our church today is because conviction is an issue. If we were to deal with the issue of conviction, we would never have to talk about the issue of commitment. The apostles didn't preach. I, need to, I just want to be careful how I approach this. I believe that most of the issues that we're dealing with in the American church, they didn't deal with in the first church. Because the first church was so built on conviction that their own conviction dealt with the issue. That's good. Wow. Let's look at conviction. The ver- just the, the dictionary's version of conviction. The quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what they believe. It gets better though. I begin to just nerd out on this and really search it out. This word actually came around to us, the word conviction, starting at the Greek word back when it was spoken or Aramaic and was brought all the way up and and it changed through languages. And and in in about the mid-16th century, it came to a Latin word, and I'm going to try my best here, convincier, which is from two different words. Con meaning with and vincier meaning conquer. So according to this understanding, you could take that definition of conviction and word it like this. The quality of showing that one is completely conquered by what they believe. How do you know if you have the spirit of conviction? Because it has conquered you. He's looking for a quality in us. That shows we are completely conquered by what we believe. When my family and I get up on Sunday morning or we get done with work on a Wednesday night, there's no debate or battle on what will take place that day because I am completely conquered by the conviction within me. So therefore, commitment never even comes into play because conviction has already dealt with it. I am conquered by it. I don't have to debate it. I don't say, babe, do we feel like going today? She come in there and tried to wake me up this morning. I said, no, tell Colby to take it. I'm staying home today. And she laughed. You know why she laughed? Because she knew that that wasn't even an issue. She knew that there was no way in the world my conviction would allow me to lay in the bed. That's real. Oh, this is too close to home. And y'all ain't going to help me this morning. In the, in the first church... They didn't just believe something. They were conquered by it. The Holy Spirit had come in and conquered their belief system. It had completely taken control of. So when the people said, let's take Paul for instance. The, the, the prophet comes and wraps his thing around him and says, uh, or wraps it around himself, right? And says, whoever's coat this is, is going to be beaten, so to speak, right? Is that how it goes? Right. It's going to be beaten when they go into the next thing. And Paul's offended. He's like, beaten? 
Shoot, I'm ready to die. Don't come here and tell me to back up or to slow down. I'm so conquered on the inside that my life means nothing to me. So to threaten me with beatings, I, just, I can just see Paul laughing sarcastically. Ha, beatings. You should have seen what they did in the last city. You should have seen when I was shipwrecked and had to swim and save everybody else and, and deal with all these other troubles that weren't even my own. Quit. I'm too conquered to quit. That's a word. How do we become this way? What what is it in us that does this to us? How do we become conquered by what we believe? Jesus said it is. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's read this first. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will. Oh, you mean he's not here to give me goosebumps and make me speak in tongues? He'll convict the world of sin. And he'll convict you of righteousness. And guess what else he does? He brings judgment, which can also be said justice. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Amen. So Jesus said it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? So that the helper, Paracletos, one called to be with you. Yeah. Remember that word with? Uh-huh. One that is called to be with you can come. So he can come what? Convict. So the Holy Spirit is coming to convict And we have brought that word all the way back to conquer. So the Holy Spirit has come into me to conquer. Conquer who? To conquer me. I mean, let's face it. Satan's not your biggest problem. You are. We give Satan way too much credit because we make his job way too easy. We make his job way too easy. I'm not even going to go there. So the Holy Spirit has come to convict. He's come to conquer. He's come to conquer you. The Spirit within you is not to convict, convince, and conquer those around you. It's to convict, convince, and conquer you. The problem is most of us have an encounter with Holy Spirit and we turn it around and try to figure out how it's going to make us a better minister. And we try to figure out how it's going to make us better at this and better at directing other people and better at convicting other people. Colby read a scripture out of Proverbs the other night. Uh, Proverbs 11, is it, Colby? Where he said, when you set standards for someone else that you don't live up to, God hates it. Isn't that how it goes? I'm paraphrasing. God hates it. Is that not what we've done with the Holy Spirit? We've used him as an excuse to tell you what's right and wrong instead of letting him conquer me from the inside out. He come to conquer. I believe the most crippling thing that has happened to the church is a loss of conviction. Wow, that's real. Yes, sir. Why do we not look like they looked? Because we're not convicted like they were. Better yet, we're not conquered like they were. For us, it's a debate. For them, there was no question. How do I know if I'm conquered or not? Do you have a choice? Because conquered people don't have a choice. See, we don't want to preach this in America. 
Because in America, I'm free. You better not take my freedom. Paul said, I'm a slave to righteousness. That's what he said. I have been so captured by righteousness. I don't get in a moment and decide, am I going to do right or am I going to do wrong? No, I am a slave to what is right. Because I have been conquered from the inside out. But I thought he was just going to make us feel good. We are going to speak in tongues. You can feel good and speak in tongues all the way to wherever you end up. He said, I've come to conquer you from the inside out. Without this conviction, there can be no conquering. And since we aren't conquered by what we believe, we'll be conquered by anything. Let me show you some scriptures. Y'all ready? If you've got a seatbelt, put it on. Romans 6, sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings, if that's not enough. So then, refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for His pleasure. Ready to be used for His noble purpose. Y'all ready for the, the grand finale? <sighs> Remember this. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. Wow. Maybe if sin's still conquering us, Ooh. it could be because He hasn't. Wow. I knew it wasn't going to go over good. I knew it. You're not governed by the law, but governed by the reign of, gra of the grace of God. Isn't that so rich? I'm going to leave that up there for a minute. Just so you can look at it. He said, sin will not conquer you. Because God, His Holy Spirit living within you, has already conquered everything. Oh man, what is the scripture? Holy Spirit, help me. Or Dad or Nathan, one of y'all. Uh, the spirit where Jesus says, He has no thing, He has no hold in me. He has nothing in me. You know what I'm talking about? He's talking about the enemy coming back. There's nothing in me for Him to hold on to, or to gravitate to, or to get what if we were so conquered from the inside out that when the enemy showed up to tempt me, he was looking, what do I do? What, what do I grab a hold to? What do I hold on to? He's been so conquered by Holy Spirit, he hasn't left a single handle for me to grab. That's good. But instead, we got them hanging all over us. The Holy Spirit has come to conquer me with conviction. By convincing me. Oh, these are so good. Are y'all ready? Yes. Convict and convince are interchangeable. As a matter of fact, some of the translations just swap them in and out. Where it says the Holy Spirit has come to convict, some translations say he's come to convince. And both are where? We got the word a while ago from the Latin word convincier. Sound familiar? That's where we get our word convince. So I want to show you the connection here. The Holy Spirit will convince. He's coming in to convince you. Now, understand this. There can be no convincing without an argument. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How does someone convince you of something? Yeah. They argue their point. And we hate to admit this. But if you become convinced, that means you lost the argument. I don't know how else to tell you that. Men, I'm sorry. But it's just the way it is. If you become convinced, that means you just became conquered. Yeah. Yes. That sounds good. I want to get in an argument now. Somebody argue with me. Come on. Let's start some apologetics really quick. Come on. 
I want to conquer something right now. But do you see the connection? If I convince you, if me and Colby disagree about something, for instance, no, I'm not even going to go there. If we disagree, and at some point during the argument, he has to say, you know what, you're right. Boom, I conquered him. I won. The Holy Spirit has come to convince you. How? Being convinced, I don't want to get too far ahead of it. Being convinced is the fruit of losing an argument. They have convinced you of something that means you changed your stance on that subject. All right. In other words, they changed your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Don't jump ahead of me and go to Romans 12 and 2 yet, okay? <laughs> so in light of that, the Holy Spirit comes in and immediately begins arguing with your stance on everything you believe. I love this. This is just good. Why? Because we learned in the Old Testament, His thoughts are not our thoughts, therefore His ways are not our ways. See, you have to understand the wording here. He said, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and if you don't think like I think, you can't act like I act. So see, the Holy Spirit comes in, and He begins to convince. And therefore, He begins, His thoughts are not our thoughts. It becomes a series of apologetics. Which is just arguing your belief. Let's say that. And let me just throw this out there to you. That may be in this moment right here. Holy Spirit knows way more than you. Way more. It's ridiculous. So when you feel yourself in a moment of apology. I don't want to keep using that word. When you feel yourself in a moment where it feels like there's an argument between you and the Holy Spirit. Where he is trying to convince you. Of what is right. He he says he will reveal all truth to you. When he is trying to convince you in that moment. You have to understand. I'm not conquered. I haven't been conquered by the spirit of God. Because I am standing in in opposition. To what he's wanting to do in my life. Let's just put it on a basic level. Uh, This has happened many times. Colby has a lot more of these stories than I do. Because he pays attention more than I do. But we'll go out to eat somewhere. And someone will come in. And have something wrong with them, physically wrong with them. And we are anointed by God to operate in the healing power of the Holy Spirit and change those situations. Well, when they walk in, how often do I enter into an argument? That's so real. No one can hear it. No one knows it's happening. But on the inside, I'm in an argument. Why? Because my body has not become surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if I was, then there would come something we heard preached the night called swift, complete obedience. And when I feel drawn, I would have to say, I am a slave. I am conquered to what is inside of me. So I have to get up and pray for this person. He comes in and begins to start arguing his truth. And he knows everything. This is on, on down in the same discourse that Jesus is giving about the Holy Spirit. He says, but when the truth-giving Spirit comes, He will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak His own message, but only what He hears the Father. And He, and he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. Amen. He will glorify me on earth, for He will receive from me what is mine, and He will reveal it to you. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. That's why I say that the divine encourager will receive what is mine and reveal it to you. So he comes in arguing what? Just said he will unveil the truth that is within you. 
He, he unlocks the truth. So conviction is an argument against what you believe. It's against your will. It's against what you want. Peter argued with Jesus about his will. He wanted Jesus to stay and keep growing this incredible ministry. But the Father's will was that Jesus be crucified. So when Peter argued with the will of the Father, Jesus called him Satan. Peter was following Jesus and doing the right things, but had not been completely conquered by the Holy Spirit. We see this even more in Peter's life because before he has the upper room encounter, he denies Jesus three times to do what? To save his life. He denies Jesus three times to save his life. After he has been conquered in the upper room by the Holy Spirit, he comes out like a man on fire. So much so that they crucify him. And when they're about to do it, he says, crucify me upside down because I'm not even worthy to die like Jesus died. He had no, he had no reserve for his flesh after that. This is something that, that just at the end, Holy Spirit just kind of brought out to me and, and I wanted to deal with. Talking about Peter's life. That Peter, when he was around Jesus, was convicted by Jesus. I mean, I, I think that's pretty understandable, right? Even if it was literally a verbal conviction that says, get behind me. He was convicted by him. And in the presence of Jesus, with that conviction... He was pretty awesome. Even though he made some mistakes. I know we always give Peter a hard time, but he was probably way better than most of us. But in the presence, what I want you to notice is that the moment that he denies him three times, there's a phrase in there that's so important, and it says, Peter began to follow Jesus from a distance. I believe a lot of us fall into the category of proximal conviction. I can prove it to you because some of the things you do alone, you wouldn't do with dad. Why? Because his life convicts you of it. I, I got I to get this out. Some of the things that, that we do out there, we wouldn't do in here because of proximal conviction. But let me distance myself a little bit. Let me get away from the pastor and away from the church and I'll do whatever. Proximal conviction. We have to be so conquered by the Holy Spirit. So convinced. That there's no argument. There's no fight. I love when Paul puts that, that be careful who you surrender your body, the members of your body to because you'll become a slave. If you surrender to sin, you'll become a slave to sin. Yeah. It's like a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. That first sin doesn't seem that bad, but after you've snowballed down the hill, all of a sudden you can't stop it. Mm -hmm. And that's all we ever deal with. But what if righteousness is the same way? Yeah. What if I keep hey, being word. obedient? I keep saying yeah. yes. I keep yes. staying committed. Yeah. I keep allowing conviction to govern my life. And then all of a sudden, there's not a battle and there's not an argument because I've been so conquered Man, that now I can't stop it from going the right way. It's a telltale sign when we, that we haven't been conquered. When we have such a willingness to hold on to our comfort, our, our ease, whatever it may be, 
Because nine times out of ten, I'm not really sure why they called him the comforter in the Bible. Because nine times out of ten, when the Holy Spirit wants you to do something, it ain't comfortable. Bill Johnson calls him Jehovah Sneaky. He sneaks right in there, makes you uncomfortable, and then you're reading scripture. He's the comforter. Well, is he or is he not? I'm confused. But it's so real that, that when this is happening. Now, I want to do something. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how I want to do this, to be honest. But what I want to do for a moment is I want all of you to just take a moment and we're going to pray. I'm not finished preaching yet. But I'm at a moment right now where I'm fixing to ask you some questions and make some statements that Abba asked me in statements he made to me this week. And I want to deal with them from the right perspective. So right now, Father, I'm just asking that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us right now to receive these questions, to be honest with these questions, to deal with these statements, to allow the conviction to come back into our lives. God, allow that conquering spirit to come in and override our, willing, our, our desire to be comfortable and, 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 and be at ease and be okay with everything. But God, let it come in and stir us up to the point that we begin to take these head on and it begin to push us into that place. That you have desired for us to live where you are unveiling the reality of every truth that is living within us. We thank you for it. So the first concept was, and this is probably not going to be new to you. But the first concept was the idea that conviction is equivalent to pain. We don't like pain, but if it wasn't for pain, you would probably be dead. Most everybody in here, Right? Uh, Russ here just this last week found himself in so much pain that he eventually had to go to the hospital and say, what is wrong with me? If that pain wouldn't have been there, that story would have been way different. Yep. Right? Right. So when conviction comes, that's our first response. We hate the pain. But without the pain, there can be no correction. We won't deal with what's wrong. So this conviction that comes in our lives, it's been some crazy series of prayers for me over the last couple of weeks, praying things like, God, restore that pain back to the church. Yeah. She's become too comfortable and too at ease. We, we've, As Amos said, we've laid back on our beds of ivory and our couches, and we've just been chill and acting like nothing's wrong. God, bring pain back to your church. Wow. That she would understand she is not operating in the conviction that you desire for her to operate in. Based on this conviction, the Holy Spirit began to show me that there's two types of conviction. One has to be drilled into you so that you know it, but it does become conviction. That's why people of other religions will die for what they believe. It has been so drilled into them that it becomes what they know and it becomes their conviction. The other conviction, that's, and it's the same even with us in, in, religion, in religion. Some of us are so convicted of religious standards that, that it shapes our lives. The other conviction is placed inside you and you feel it. One is drilled in you so that you know it. The other is placed in you so that you feel it. And looking at this, this was the best way that Holy Spirit could reveal it to me. I was in my wood shop over there working Saturday, I think it was, 
or Friday, and he just began to reveal these notes to me. And he said, do we really believe in life at conception? And at first, of course, my mind, of course, went to abortion and all the things that we fight against so strongly. I I believe it would be safe to say that everyone in here has a conviction about abortion. That that we hate it. We we, we see it as, as, as as a deception that the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And so if I asked you, do you believe in life at conception? The majority, at least, would probably say yes, of course. As soon as there is conception, there is life. It's about to be a living baby. Or it is a living baby. And then he told me this statement. As soon as I heard it, I sent it to Dad. It said, if you believe in life at conception, women will stop smoking or drinking or whatever when they get pregnant because they're conquered by what's living inside them. All right. So, so let's look at the connection here. If you believe in life at conception, then that means when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you believe that at that moment you have the life of Jesus Christ living within you. That's what you said. You believe in life at conception. Well, if that's the case, has your life altered like a pregnant woman's life would be altered? What I love about this is when he spoke it to me, he used those two things, smoking and drinking. And I'm not here today to go after either one of them. Let your conviction handle that. But what I want you to understand is that when we hear both of those, most of us think of addict. You don't just think of a casual smoker, a casual drinker. Usually our minds go to an addict. So that's how Holy Spirit connected to me. That someone could be addicted to this, but get pregnant and lay it down. Am I saying it always happens? No. But I'm telling you, there is a conviction that comes with being pregnant that you could step away from an addiction. We're trying to talk through and dance around a whole lot of issues. Dealing with your flesh because you don't believe in life at conception. If you did, there would be such a conviction that would come up on the inside of you that you would say, What's in me is way too valuable. What's in me is worth way too much to dabble in anything that could harm this. Anything that would hurt this, I will step away from. I don't care if I'm addicted. I don't need a 12-step program when I'm convicted. I need one step out of darkness and into light that says I am so convicted by what's living inside me. I wouldn't risk it for a moment. Dealing with all this, I asked Colby yesterday, I said, any good mother that was pregnant about to have their child, if you went to them and said, during the birth process... One of you is not going to make it and you get to choose. Who do you think the mother would pick? The baby. Every time. 
every time. But how many times are we choosing to live and allowing our fetus to die? How many times am I saying, I want what I want because it feels good and it feels right? Or how many times is the conviction within me saying, lay me on a cross and let me die as long as what's within me gets to live? Where is the conviction that says I have something living inside of me that is infinitely more valuable than I am? So do we believe that there is actually life within us? Do we so believe it that it's altering the way I live my life? God, help us, Holy Spirit. I just heard Holy Spirit say, the second characteristic for a pregnant woman is that she can't hide it. I don't know if y'all remember when my wife was pregnant. But when she was pregnant with Stephen, I'm telling you, it, you couldn't hide it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be so careful right now. There was just finally a point where I was like, can I take a picture of you? How is that possible? Maybe Holy Spirit just sent that in so a spoonful of sugar would help this medicine go in. It's true. That's good. But I'm telling you guys, either we ain't pregnant or we don't care that we're pregnant. I've spent so much time in repentance. Because we've been asking the question so much, why are we so different from the first church? Not even the first church. We're connected to pulling from and drawing from churches today in America who are regularly seeing signs, wonders, and miracles. People are standing in line to get in their doors. Not on Sunday morning. They're coming six nights a week. Why? Because they're operating in something we don't even know about. Why? Because they live with such a conviction. They live in such a way that they'll do whatever it takes to protect that thing within them. So much changed. Am I preaching works? No. I'm preaching life at conception. Teaching friends. That's good. I remember even getting to a point once, once, once she had been pregnant for so long where they would tell her things like they didn't really want to ride in the car long because they didn't want a seatbelt across her. Just so many crazy things that we don't even think about that could be harmful to that baby. I am praying that Holy Spirit will begin to reveal to us so many things we haven't even thought about that are harmful to what's living within us. That he began to so reveal it in a way that we could be in the middle of conversations and say, whoa, whoa, this could harm what's inside of me. If you want to continue, you go ahead. But I can't be a part of it. If you want to talk like that, then talk over there. You know why we don't say that in conversations? Because we want us to live. Because walking away would feel like crucifying me. But who's more important, me or what's living within me? Who's more important? Lastly, I want to close with this. 
There are some people in this room this morning who are experiencing what I'm talking about. I'm not going to be no so naive to believe that it's the whole room. But there are some people here who are starting to feel that within them. And you're not even sure what to do with it. You're not even sure how to handle it. I heard a pastor yesterday, or Friday, whenever it was I was listening to this pastor, who began to talk about Mary. And he said, when Mary gets pregnant by God, the holy seed of God placed within her, it doesn't say she went to her mom and dad. No. She couldn't just go to anybody. She had to find somebody that was experiencing the same thing. She went to Elizabeth. Why? Because Elizabeth had the same thing happening. A divine deposit that was causing her to feel something. So I can imagine Mary and Elizabeth sitting across from each other saying, nobody's going to believe us and no one's going to understand it and they're not going to be able to explain it. But I feel what you feel and you feel what I feel, so I just need to be with you right now. Some of you, some of us, are spending way too much time with people that aren't feeling the same kicks. You better find a way to lay yourself down and say, I need to find somebody that has something kicking on the inside of them. I need to find somebody that don't have the answer. They don't have all, the, all, all things figured out, but they have something kicking. And when we get together, they begin to kick together. They begin to kick at the same time. Conviction. When that mama's first pregnant, she can't prove it to you. She can't show it to you. But there's a conviction. Something moving on the inside of her. Can I tell you, there's something moving on the inside of me this morning. And I refuse to do anything or be around anyone that could harm what's happening on the inside of me. I told dad yesterday, I just want to hang out with people who are feeling the same kick. I don't want to waste my time talking about playoffs and the weather and everything else that's so consuming people right now. I just want to be around people who are feeling the kick. Scott texted me the other day. And I'm just not a shot at Scott by no means. He texted me the other day. He said, hey, you got any plans for the big game? I was oblivious, wasn't I? I texted him back. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, the national championship. All of America is in an uproar right now for this right now. But in the moment, I texted him back. I was like, oh, no, no plans. And we made plans to get together. And guess what? I'm probably going to watch the game. Sure. But it was all of a sudden I realized I've been so consumed with something on the inside that I lost focus of everything on the outside. That is real. Guys, I don't even know how to end this thing. I don't even know where to go from here. But the Holy Spirit is wanting to bring His conviction back to the church. He's wanting to restore what we lost that caused us to lose everything. The conviction... If, if we were able to just be vulnerable and honest right now, and ask ourselves, when's the last time 
I felt utter conviction. You know what? And, and, and I believe sin is the entry level of conviction. I believe it says, he come, I, the way I wrote it out, he come to conquer, convince. Or something like that. But it was progressive. I believe the first entry level Holy Spirit will con- conquer sin in your life. We have to get past this whole thing that yeah, we just yeah. keep sinning and everybody's sinning. It's a cycle and you'll mess up and you ask for forgiveness and it don't matter. Come on. That's not being conquered. Right. Holy Spirit has come that he may conquer the sin. Yeah. Jesus told the woman that was caught in adultery, I don't accuse you. In other words, your slate is wiped perfectly clean as if you never did anything. But he doesn't leave it there. Right. He doesn't say, go do your best. He doesn't say when you're up on the highs, worship and it'll be good, but get ready for that fall because it's going to be it's going to be killer. No, he straight up looked at her and said, now go and don't sin anymore. Man, that's the word. It's conviction. Can you imagine? Let, let, let's just let's work this. Can you imagine? She was looked in the eyes by Jesus himself and said, don't sin anymore. So the next time she got ready and had an opportunity to sin, what did she think of? Those eyes that looked at her and said, don't you do it. Don't you do it. That's the conviction that I want. I want the conviction that when the moment comes, I can see his eyes and him say, now go your way and sin no more. crazy as I told Colby, I said, this thing doesn't end. You don't run out of conviction. It's like grace. I told him, I, I, I don't know that, that, that conviction of sin is a, is a huge issue in my life anymore of just fleshly sins. But then the second he said, I'll convict of righteousness. So then he goes from telling you, don't sin anymore, to convincing you of your righteousness. So that anything that comes in is not like him. Or you're around anything that's not like him. He begins to convince you, you're the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Don't stoop to that level. Don't go down to that place. You're the righteousness of God. 